fine. And um, if you have your Bibles tonight, if you have your Bibles tonight, the book of Micah is on my heart. The book of Micah is on my heart. I want to read one verse, and we'll look at many verses in this chapter, but it's heavy on my heart tonight. The book of Micah. The book of Micah. I'll ask if you will please stand once you find the book of Micah. The book of Micah is just behind the little book of Jonah. You ever heard of Jonah? Oh, yes. I've, I've been a Jonah every now and then in my life. Been running from what God wanted me to do. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Amen. The book of Micah, chapter number six. And we're going to look this evening in verse number eight. Micah, chapter six, verse number eight. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. I want to preach on this thought tonight. What does the Lord require? What does the Lord require? I was talking with someone last week, and they're like, you know, serving God is so hard. You got to do this and you need to do that. And, and, and it's not hard, hard to serve the Lord Jesus. It's not difficult at all. In fact, it's an honor to have the opportunity to serve the Lord. And I want to look at this verse and this chapter a little more closely and just discuss tonight what the Lord requires of me, what the Lord requires of you. Father, would you help us tonight, Lord, as we preach the word? God, would you empower us of the power, with the power of the Holy Ghost? Father, I pray that you'd anoint us. God, you'd sanction us. God, you'd breathe through us, Lord, and in us, Father, and upon us. God, I pray that you'd give us thoughts, Lord, of the Holy Spirit, not the thoughts of man, but the thoughts of the Lord God. Would you give us wisdom, God, about how to rightly divide the Word of God, wisdom about preaching, wisdom about teaching this chapter. God, would you help us, Lord, then to receive the Word of God, to receive, God, what you'd have us uh, to understand tonight. God, I ask, Father, that you'd move upon us and help us, we pray, in Jesus' worthy name, amen and amen. I thank you for standing. You may be seated. I don't know if you know about this, but the book of Micah, Micah is a great prophet, and Micah would be considered to be a contemporary with Isaiah. In other words, they prophesied to the same group of people, and they prophesied around the very same time, okay? And so they're prophesying to Judah, uh, and they're trying to call the people to repent. Let's look at the first three verses. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. Number one, I want us to think about the charge. God has an indictment that he's bringing against Israel. He has a charge that he's bringing to their attention. The first word is the word here. Did you know that the book of Micah has three oracles? There are three divisions in this, in this book that only has seven chapters. If you look at chapter number one in verse two, he says, hear all ye people. That's oracle number one. If you look in chapter three, verse one, and I said, hear, I pray ye, 
O ye heads of Jacob. That's oracle number two. And tonight, oracle number three, hear ye now what the Lord saith. This is not Micah's message, it's a message from God. This is not my message, it's a message that God has laid on my heart to preach to you this evening. This message would have been declared just after King Hezekiah's healing. You remember King Hezekiah, how the Lord said, set your house in order, you're going to die and not live. And he rolled his face to the wall and began to seek God's face and God granted him 15 extra years. And those 15 extra years living on borrowed time, he squandered those years. He had a young boy, he, he, that boy at 12 years of age when his daddy died, his name was Manasseh, was one of the wickedest kings that ever lived in all of the land. And it's because his daddy took things for granted and didn't teach him or train him. And Isaiah and Micah are prophesying and preaching to this group. Look with me as God is calling Israel, God is calling Judah to court. God is the plaintiff and he's bringing a formal charge against them. He is placing a divine lawsuit against Israel. He subpoenaed and he has summoned Israel to court. He says, I have a controversy with you. The people of God are being brought to trial. A complaint from God is being poured out against his people. God is about to present his case. Israel will hear God plead his case and upon hearing it, she will present her case or make her defense before some unshakable witnesses. Israel's going to have to be standing and Israel is called into account. Who are those unshakable witnesses? First of all, there'll be God and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Ghost. But second of all, there'll be mountains. There'll be hills. There'll be the very foundations of the earth according to verse number two. They're going to be the cosmically constructed court. God says in verse three, will you hear me tonight? Maybe tonight there's a sinner tonight. Maybe there's a backslid saint. Tonight, you think serving God's too hard. Tonight, you've got a complaint against God. God has a question for you. Will you hear me, church? Maybe you're here and you're bitter. Why didn't God allow this in my life? Why didn't God do for me what he did for others? Why, why didn't God grant the healing to me that he granted to other people? And you've got a little bitter feeling in your heart. And God knows about it. You didn't get that job you wanted. Your husband walked out on you. Your, your wife didn't went a different direction. Your, your, your children didn't do what you thought they'd do. And you've got a, you, you've got a complaint. You, you've got a bitterness. You, your prayer request was not answered the way you saw fit. Everybody else is shouting. Everybody else is rejoicing. But it didn't happen for you the way it happened for other people. God has a question for you. We're in court. Court in session. How about I had Brother Rick stand up and say, Hear ye, hear ye. And call this place to order tonight. God says in verse number three, Oh my people, what have I done unto thee? What's God done to you that you'd be hurt at him? What's God done to you that you'd be bitter at him? Look, he's got another question. He says, Wherein have I wearied thee? Have I made you weary? What, what have I done that's completely wore you out? Why have I done that's made you bitter? Why have I distressed you? Why are you discontent with God? He has another question. 
He, said, he says, uh, he has a statement, testify against me. Go ahead, stand up and testify. Tell God why you're mad. Tell God your issue. Tell God why you're bitter. Tell God why you can't be faithful anymore. Go ahead and tell God why you won't come to church anymore. Tell God why you won't sing in the choir. Tell God why you won't rejoice anymore. Tell God why you can't shout. Tell God what he's done again you. God wants to know. But according to the text, Israel played shut mouth. They had no response. Not a word they could say. They didn't have a complaint. Although they had bitter feelings, they could not bring a charge against God. And Henny, I'm going to tell you something, the devil in hell can't do it either. Number two, I spent too long on this already. Number two, there's a case. It's found in verse number four and verse number five. Look at God as he presents his case. He says, for I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. God is presenting his case and giving them a simple review of history. Evidently, Israel's forgotten the facts. And I'm afraid tonight you may be here and you've forgotten some facts. You've forgotten how he wakes you up every day and kisses you with the breath of heaven. You have forgotten the shame and the suffering that he went through, that your sins might be under the blood, that you might have the promise of heaven, that you might be on your way to, on your way to glory. Israel was in bondage for 400 years. There was no way out. Oh, they cried and they begged and they begged. And God, he heard their cry and God came down where they were and God sent them a deliverer by the name of Moses and Aaron and with Miriam. And God delivered them after 400 years of bondage. Don't tell me God's not been good to you, Israel. I would remind you God called you out of sin's sway. When you were in prison, in sin, held up, God released you, redeemed you, forgave you, and tonight, amen, there's nothing, nothing that you'll have to give an account for. God's erased the past. Your sins are under the blood. Verse 5. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that we may know the righteousness of the Lord. He reminds them of another account. You remember King Balak of Moab? The children of Israel, as they were traveling there through the wilderness, the, the king, he went to the man of God. to He said, listen, I want to hire you. I want you to pronounce a curse on God's people. I want you to discourage the encouraged. This crowd that's just been released, this crowd that's just been refreshed, this crowd that's just been revived, I want you to discourage them. I want you to pronounce curses upon them. And every time Balaam, the man of God, who was for hire, stood up and opened his mouth to pronounce a curse, out of his mouth came another blessing. Balaam couldn't believe it. He went back a second time and he opened his mouth and out came another blessing. He went back a third time and he opened his mouth and out came another blessing. All he could do, 
under the influence of Almighty God was blessed and blessed and blessed God's people. Hallelujah to God. You, you see, God was never persuaded to put a curse on Israel by the prophet or by Balak, king of Moab. Honey, tonight, you may say, Pastor Darren, what's come to me? I mean, the devil's all, listen, it could not have come to you did God not allow the devil to have that access. Yeah, but he allowed it. And that's what's got me so upset. Honey, he'll be the same one to bring you out of it. You'll not get out of this gulm you're in. You'll not get out of this mess you're in. You'll not get out of the situation you're in. You'll, hallelujah. You'll not get out of the circumstance you're in if God doesn't help you. God just presenting his case. You remember what Balaam did do? Balaam said, I'll tell you what you can do. I'll teach you how to compromise. And he, he calls the people that were disqualified, the people that were to be unequally yoked, people that were sinful to be yoked up. He brought them together to, to do immoral things by compromise. He sent young women in to cause the men to be sexually immoral. And idolatry got set up. And because of this, 24,000 people died of a plague because God was displeased with what they did. But God said, listen, do you not remember how good I've been to you? Thirdly, there's a claim here. Now watch this. The man of God, Micah, he knows that the people are hypocritical. Now I know that Bethel, y'all would never come before God with a hypocritical attitude. You, you'd never come before God with a hypocritical approach. But, but just watch this presentation that Micah makes. He says, this is how the people are acting. He says, this is the claim, number three, the claim. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Now here's what they're asking. God, what do you require of me? God, what do you want from me? God, what do you expect from me? I, I, that's a good question. God, what do you expect from me? But here's what they're saying. We bow before God. And if we bow before God, why is God displeased? Why is God subpoenaing, subpoenaing us? Why is God uh, pouring out his complaint? Why is God taking us to court? Why is he displeased with us? We bow down before him. We just went to the altar. We just had 24 hours of prayer. I mean, why would God be displeased with us if we bow? Here's what they're suggesting with that. God's too demanding. They're suggesting serving God is too hard. There's a word here. The word for bow is an unusual occurrence. It's only found in Scripture five places. Preacher Darren, you're crazy. The word bow is all through the Bible hundreds of times. You're right. But this verb is different than all the rest of them. It's only used five times. It's the word kapal. And I want, to, I want to read the contemporary of Micah found in the book of Isaiah. Turn there in Isaiah chapter 58. I want to read what Isaiah had to say. Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. I want to look at verse number 5. It's the same kaphal, the same word for bow. And look at this hypocritical approach that Israel has to worship. Look at this hypocritical, I'm afraid, our churches have a hypocritical approach. God, I bowed before you. You ought to bless me for that. God ought to get my way because I bowed. Like you've done something for God. Isaiah 58, 5. 
Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to, there's our word, bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast, an acceptable an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen? Listen, the people decided with a hypocritical approach and with a hypocritical attitude, we're going to have this fast, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and we're going to leave God completely out of it. I'm just telling you, you may be fasting, you may be bowing, you, you may be sacrificing, but if you're living hypocritically, God knows it. And your bowing and your fasting and your praying is not doing one simple thing. A man-made, mm, religious, self-righteous act in God's eyes will not gain you acceptance before God. I might read chapter 29, verse 13 while you're close. Chapter 29, Isaiah 29, verse 13, why you're close. Just, just to see God's viewpoint on this hypocritical bowing, this hypocritical, self-righteous, religious acts that people commit. Isaiah 29, 13, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Amen. In other words, because some priest or some preacher says, this is what you ought to do. Your heart's not in it. God knows it. And God's displeased. What does God expect of me? I bowed. What does God expect of me? I fasted. What does God expect of me? This is too hard. Let's go back to our text. The book of Micah chapter 6, we were in verse number 6. There's a, a, another one. It says, look at verse 6. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Now, they're acknowledging that God won't sacrifice to shed the blood of that animal and to take that animal and offer it as a burnt sacrifice. But with this, what they're suggesting is, how come we have to take the best calf? How come we have to take the best of the herd? Servant God is too hard. Servant God is too demanding. He requires too much of us. I remember when they were there in the wilderness, when they were released out of bondage, and Moses had gone up on the mountain to receive the law of God, and they said that serving God's too hard. The way's too hard. What are we going to do? Everybody take off your earrings. Everybody take off your gold necklaces and your anklets. Let's put them in a melting pot. And, and holy cow, out came a golden calf. And they started dancing immorally before it. And the man of God was up on the mountain. And God said, get you down for there's a sound of war. And Moses came and Joshua right behind him. And they came down there and the people were worshiping, idolatrous, a golden calf. God's not pleased with just offering your golden calves and your little burnt offerings. Hey, it's more than that. God doesn't want your offerings. He wants you. He wants your heart. Look in verse number 8 or verse number 7. 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? What does that mean? Well, I can read to you about King Solomon. King Solomon gave 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep in one offering. Let me say it again. 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. But that's not even what Micah's pointing out. What they're pointing out is what King Hezekiah did. I read out of First Second Chronicles chapter 30 that King Hezekiah gave 1,000 bullocks and 7,000 sheep. King Hezekiah prayed. I'm talking about a man that loved the Lord and God blessed him with healing. But he turned his heart away from God in those last 15 years. He took God for granted. Wouldn't raise his little family to serve God anymore. Boy, wouldn't it be a travesty if after all these years of serving God that you just decided, well, that's good enough. I'm acceptable to God now, and I'm just done with it. I'm not going to live for him anymore. I've done enough. I'm going to walk away. I'm saved. I'm rejoicing. My family knows the truth. I'm going to go do something different. It's done every day. It's done every day. Why go to church? Why keep going to church? I went my one time for the year. I went my one time for the month. I went my one time for the week. Why would I go anymore? Hey, I go because I love him. What he's saying here is, it's not about your vast size of your offering. It's not about how much you tithe. God, listen, God is not after your tithe. I know we should tithe, but I'm telling you something. He's not impressed. He's not impressed. You can give $100 out of your $2,000 you made this week and think you've done something. But a little widow woman can come and, come and give two months out of two months and she'd give more than you have with all your money. God's not impressed with those things. Church, I'm telling you, God wants our heart. Amen. So I don't care that if King Hezekiah on a national level gives huge offerings, religious sacrifice unto God, it doesn't mean that things are right. There's another one. He goes further. He says, shall I give my firstborn, or I forgot, ten thousands of rivers of oil? Oh, my, how valuable is that? But God's not into the oil. And he says, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? What does God expect? Does he want my firstborn child? For the sin of my soul, what he's suggesting is serving God's unreasonable. I could prove to you in the Bible that the firstborn does belong to the Lord. I could show you that in the Old Testament. But I'm going to tell you something. God gave his firstborn. And he gave his life that you and as a substitute, that you and I might be saved, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be washed under the blood. Amen and hallelujah to God. You see, Israel, they think they're doing something. And they think, well, God's just, his requirements are too hard. It's unreasonable. He's just asking too much. It's, it's pressing. And now they're suggesting that we're unclear. Sir, we seem to be unclear. We have a failure to communicate, sir. We're unclear. What do you expect, God? What do you require, God? Why would you be displeased after all we've done for you? 
after all we've done. We need to get back to thinking who's done what. Verse number eight. Number four, and I'll be done. There's a command given here. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. That word good is the word tob in Hebrew. It means he's shown you what's pleasant. He's shown you what's agreeable. He's, he's, he's shown you what's excellent. He's shown you what is appropriate. Now, now, if I went back to these oracles, we mentioned these oracles. God has shown you, O oh man, what is good. Look at oracle number one. Micah chapter one, verse number two. Hear all ye people. Hearken, O earth, and all that therein is. This oracle is universal. It's for everybody. God is declaring what is right, what is agreeable, what is appropriate to God before the entire universe. Oracle number two, found in chapter number three. And I said, hear, I pray ye, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel. That's national. National. And we come to chapter 6. Hear ye now. That's personal. It's individual. No one is admitted. When God speaks, he's speaking universally, nationally, personally, individually, He's not omitting anyone. And honey, I have a word for you. If you think he's left you out tonight, you'd be wrong. God has a word for you on a Wednesday night at Bethel Baptist Church. God has a word for you if you tune in long enough to listen. God wants to tell you what he requires. Amen. God's always taught man what he requires. Mankind's got to come by the blood of Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. God is telling you what he requires. He says, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly? That's a mark of grace. That's a mark of grace. God wants you and I to have righteous ways. What does God expect? You, you, to do justly. What does that mean? What's well, big? It's to do right. God wants you to do right. He wants you to do right when everybody's watching. And he wants you to do right when nobody's watching. He wants you to do right with what you look at on your computer and what you watch on your TV. He wants you to do right to your neighbor. He wants you to do right to your enemy. God wants you and God expects you to do right. He wants you to be fair. Treat others as you would be treated. Amen. It's a sign of the new birth. Here's our problem. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's our problem. God wants you to do justly, and the problem is our flesh can't do it. It's against its grain. It's against its will. It's against its way. Preacher Darren, how dare you say that? I'm saying, hold your place. The book of Romans, chapter number 7. The book of Romans, chapter number 7. We read what Paul the Apostle was allowed to write. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 18. And we'll stay here and read a few verses. I'm going to wait till you find it. Romans 7, 18. Now Paul's a saved man. He's Apostle Paul. For I know that in me, parentheses, that is in my flesh, 
close parentheses, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me, I find in a law. That when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Hmm. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. God wants us to do justly. Here's Israel's problem. They can't do it. God wants you to do justly. You're just like, oh boy, yeah, I can do. I, I know what God wants me to do now. I have a secret for you. You can't do it. Somewhere, you're going to break your streak. You're going to mess up and commit some unrighteous act, some thought, some deed, some word, some text, some email, something somewhere. You're going to lose your self-righteousness. First John. First John chapter 2. I know this is not popular preaching. First John, first John. Verse number 20. Verse number 19. They that went out from us, they that went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might make might be made manifest. That they were not all of us. What's this? But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Preacher Aaron, what does that mean? God says that you have an opportunity to be righteous, but by grace you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be His righteousness. But if, but listen, if you want to act like the flesh, you're going to act like people just walk away, people that are apostate people that are sinful, it's just by the grace of God that you are where you are even right now. Amen. Now go back to our text. Go back to our text. As you're turning, let me say this. You've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been justified by faith. You've been justified freely by His grace. It didn't cost you one thing. God justified you. He's asking you to do justly and he's given you justification. He's given you of his righteousness. It's not your righteousness, it's his righteousness. May I tell you tonight that you're an ambassador for the king of kings. And everywhere you go and everything you do, somebody's watching you. And you're to live a life that is above reproach. Your life, public or private, is a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the problem is, when people are watching you and you're in the flesh... That's the reason they don't want to become Christians. That's the reason. Amen. That's the exact truth. We're not just to be Christians when we're at church. We have a hard enough time here. 
we ought to be a we ought to be a Christian every day. May we represent the Lord Jesus at all times. I got to pull off this. All right. So there is there's you got to have righteous ways, and you can't do it. Your righteousness must be His righteousness. There's another one, not only that mark of grace to do justly and to love mercy. I'm telling you, that word mercy has eat me up for about two solid weeks. Brother Remington knows it. Mercy, mercy, mercy. The word is elios in the Greek. And I'm telling you, man, it is just eating me up. He says that we're to love mercy. God expects men to love mercy. That, that is, he is requiring your will. That your will would reciprocate the mercy he showed you. I have an announcement. I'm going to ask a question. Did God show you mercy? When your foot had not slipped into hell, he saw it, he knew about it, knew you was in a horrible pit, knew you was going to die, and he sent his son to die in your place, to come and lift you out, and that he might save you by his mercy and by his grace. He's been a merciful God, and he expects us. What is mercy? Mercy is us getting that which we don't deserve. Titus says, not by works of righteousness which, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he hath saved us. I have a couple statements about mercy. If you love mercy, you will love to share the message of mercy. Do you love to tell the message of mercy? I do. I love to tell about how he's been merciful to me. I love to tell about how wicked. Listen, I just I don't have to brag on the things I did. I just say I was wicked and he had mercy on me. And that'll do. Do you love to share the message of mercy? Second of all, do you love to show acts of mercy? Well, there was a man who was robbed, beaten, and left for dead. And the priest after service was over, you know, was walking down the road and saw the man wounded, naked, laying there dying. And what about his act of mercy? He turned his head away from him and walked by on the other side of the road. He didn't have any mercy, did he? What about the Levite? Same thing. Saw him land, saw the man land there and left him laying there to die. And we'll say we love acts of mercy. But do we really show mercy? And then the good Samaritan came by. And the Samaritans have no dealings with the Jews. And the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. But the good Samaritan looked down and remembered mercy. And said, I love mercy. And bowed down before him. And he bound up his wounds. He poured in oil and wine. Set him up on his own beast. Took him back to the inn. Paid the innkeeper two pence and said, whatever he owes you more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you when I come back. And he took care of him. And he loves to show acts of mercy. Every I was reading today, Matthew, I was reading in Luke, everywhere Jesus went, acts of mercy. Acts of mercy. Blind man, deaf man, leper man, a girl with the, with the issue of blood. Acts of mercy, mercy, mercy. Preaching the gospel to the poor. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Hey, I want to read out of Matthew 18. Boy, we're to love mercy. Matthew 18, Matthew 18. I hope you'll turn there with me real quick. Won't stay here long. Matthew chapter number 18. The Bible says in verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven 
likened unto a certain king which would take account of all his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. That is an unpayable debt. It's so steep, this guy cannot pay it. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. He don't have a chance of paying that debt. He's going to be a slave. His wife's going to be enslaved. His children are going to be enslaved. All his possessions and his property is going to be sold. He's in bad shape. But he asked, he said, Lord, have patience with me. Verse 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Amen. He let him go. That was me. Jesus let me go. When he had me dead to right, I was a sinner. Jesus let me go. I had a debt I could not pay, and he forgave me all of it. All of it. Oh, in his mercy. Thank God for mercy. I'm telling you, do you love to share the message of mercy? Do you love to show acts of mercy? Will you grant somebody mercy? But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. That's like a pack of gum. And he laid hands on him. He took him by the throat saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not. And he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. He received mercy, but he didn't want to give mercy. He received mercy, but he wouldn't share the message of mercy. He received mercy, but he wouldn't show merciful acts. He received mercy, but he wouldn't grant somebody mercy and forgive them. My Bible says in, I think, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If you want more mercy, you better be merciful. Let's go back to our text. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after they had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. Well, Preacher Darren, he had already forgave him. Now it's come back up. Listen, the, you and I are sinners. We sin every single day. And yes, he saved me, and I'm not, listen, I'm not losing the salvation, not on my way to hell. But when I show my when I show myself unmerciful to someone who needs it, after God's been merciful to me, God will guarantee that tormentors will come into your life and will tear and take your family apart. You will suffer, you will be in the worst of shape, and you will wish unto God that you had shown mercy, the same mercy you'd received, you had shown mercy to someone else that was in need of it. Some of us, I wonder if there's somebody possibly could be on a prayer list somewhere because we didn't show somebody mercy. I guarantee it's happened to me in my life. God was merciful to me. I'm not saying it about you. I'm saying it about me. Okay, I don't know you, but I know me. That God had mercy on me, and when I had an opportunity to show mercy to somebody else, I didn't. 
And for that, I got a whooping. Amen. Don't look at me confused. You may not like it, but that's what God's telling Israel. Micah is telling Israel by the hand of God, you are supposed to do justly. Y'all shouted the house down. You're to have righteous ways. And you're to love mercy. That means that you'll share mercy, you'll show mercy, and you'll grant mercy. But we have a problem with that in the local Baptist churches. Amen. It's in the pulpit. It's in the pew. And we need to get right with God. Mm. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 8, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one on another. Love as brethren. We ought to be merciful. Have compassion one on another. But I guarantee you, we'll go home and something will get said or something will be brought up. And that very person that said, Amen! You won't be merciful with your comment. You won't be merciful with your speak. As you spin that thing, you won't be merciful. When I face my students tomorrow, Will I be merciful to them? You know, that one that didn't do his homework, who's too lazy, he didn't get it all nailed down, get it all took care of. Well, now, wait a minute. Now, preacher, now, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Listen, will I be merciful? As God has been merciful to me? Oh, yeah, but preacher, wait, 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 wait. Wait. God had a demand on my life, too that I wouldn't be a sinner and I sinned. Will I be merciful to my staff tomorrow? That one that walks in late for the 48th time, gets there at 10 o'clock, and they get there at 10 o'clock every day and school starts at 8, will I be merciful one more time? No, you won't be sure. It's hard, ain't it? It's hard, ain't it? But God forgives me every day and every morning. His mercies. Ooh, his mercies. Hey, they fail not. They're new every single morning. They're new, they're new, they're new, they're new. Boy, I got to get off this. God's requiring your will to love mercy. I don't want to. God's requiring it. What does God expect? What does God demand? What does God require? to do justly and to love mercy, okay? And to walk humbly with thy God. There's the mark of grace. There's the mercy in grace. There's the meekness of grace. To love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. You ought to have a reverent walk. God expects you to walk humbly with him. I get around some of us preachers and we're so arrogant. It's just terrible. Oh my, some, some, some people, you've been saved a long time and you think you're doing everybody a favor by you being here and, and we are glad to see you. But, but you need to understand something. You need to walk humbly before the Lord. Your job is to honor Him. We're not here to honor you. We're here to honor Him. I mean, I'll be, I'll be. Pastor Appreciation Month, right? I'll be honest, I'd rather you just honor Him. You want to do something for me? Love each other. You want to do something for me? Get along. You want to do something for me? Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with thy God. 
Man, that makes my job a whole lot easier. Hey, man, that's what I'd rather have is anything. I've told somebody that just the other day. What can we do for you? Just get along. To just love each other. I'd rather have I'd rather have peace in the church as anything I know. You know what my Bible says in the book of Amos? Can two walk together unless they be agreed? God wants us to walk humbly and not strut like a peacock. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. And he said it again in James chapter 4 and verse number 6. You see, God wants you to walk humbly before the Lord. Well, you, I want to read a verse of scripture. I didn't mean to take so long, I, I promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I was looking at this verse today. I mean, it just spoke volumes to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll look at verse number 7. The Lord wants us to walk humbly before our God. Look what he said in verse, verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Who maketh thee to differ from another? Okay, next question. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? For you tonight that you're here and you think that you're something. I used to have a, listen, listen. I used to have a person who would come up to me They'd shake my hand and say, you know what, you're something else. I said, well, thanks. And then another time they said, man, that message, that was just something else. And then about a month later, I heard them talking to somebody else, and they said what something else really meant to them. And when they were telling me I was something else, they were really knocking me pretty low. And I took it as a compliment. Oh, you're something else. Better watch that person, right? Read the text again. There are some that think there's something else. That they think they have all this to give. They think they have all this to offer. Here I am at church. I have it. Look at me. Watch a preacher like that. Watch a choir member like that. Watch a church member like that. Here's, here's what I want to tell you. You don't have one thing that wasn't given to you. You may think, I got this, bless God, I got hard work in my family. You know who we are. We're the wildrups. We're the wildrups. And we're status quo, man. We're, we're social elite. Hogwash. I looked up my family tree. You know who I'm related to? Which president, preacher? Which famous ball player? I'm going to tell you, listen, I'm going to tell you who I'm related to. Write it down. Sinners. Every stinking one of them. Hog gut, going to hell, sinners. That's who my family tree is. One day I met a man named Jesus. And I have a new family tree. And he is righteous and he is holy. And he wants me to walk humbly before my God. I don't have one thing. This jacket, somebody gave to me. Amen. The, the, the house I get to live in right now and the payments that are made, God just makes, makes sure that it's taken care of every month. Hey, I, don't, I wouldn't have a car. I, honest, I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have a stitch of clothes. I wouldn't have a church to preach in. I wouldn't, have a, I wouldn't have a family. I wouldn't have nothing. I wouldn't have salvation. I wouldn't have mercy. I wouldn't have grace. I wouldn't have forgiveness. I wouldn't have redemption. I wouldn't have pardon. I wouldn't have promises. I wouldn't have nothing. Weren't it not given to me from God? 
So why should I come in here and think myself something else? I am nothing. Chapter 15. Chapter 15. Verse number 9. This is what Paul said. And I preached this text one time and somebody confronted me about how discouraged I made them. Look what he said. But I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the grace, the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I preached on being least, the importance of being least. Paul was least, and he was thankful for it. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am least. And I preached on being least. Man, somebody blew me out of the water because I discouraged them and didn't help them attain higher than being least. Honey, I'll tell you something. If you're least in the kingdom of God, you're in great position. That's what he wants. He wants us to do justly, to have righteous ways. He wants us to love mercy. He, he, wants, he wants us to require our will to love mercy, to grant forgiveness and mercy to those that don't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. And he wants us to have a reverent walk. Oh, I want to turn one more text. Jeremiah 9, I'm done. Jeremiah 9. Jeremiah 9. What God requires is not a mystery, nor is it difficult. And God's going to bring chastisement on Israel, and you can read about it later on in the book of Micah chapter 6. Because when he brought the message and he brought them to court, they didn't get it. So judgment came, chastisement fell, correction came in their lives. Church, I'm just asking you, you may go home tonight and say, God, what do you expect of me? Look at my world. It's falling apart. I got this problem and this issue and things are not adding up. God, what do you expect of me? Will you hear my words? Do justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with thy Lord. The Bible says that if we would humble ourselves before the Lord in due season, he will exalt us. In due season, he will lift us up. Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this. That he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord which exercise love and kindness. That's love and mercy. Judgment, that's to do justly. And righteousness in the earth. 
For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. You stand to your feet tonight. Oh God, I bow before you, Father, a wretched man, a wicked, filthy sinner. But God, I thank you for the day you saved me on July 13th, back there in 1978. God, you've been so merciful to me in saving me, and since that point in time, oh God, how many countless acts of mercy have you sent my way? God, how many times have I tried in the name of religion or in the name of righteousness to do this or that, and it just failed? God, it's because it must be done in accordance to your righteousness. Lord, to do justly in my flesh, I'll never get it right. But God, if I'll do it in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I've been justified freely by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray then you'd help me, God, to do right. And help me, God, to love mercy. And to help me, God, to learn to walk humbly before the Lord thy God. Father, I pray tonight, God, that you'd touch me. And God, you'd help me. God, would you touch our church? God, I'm probably the most unqualified pastor of anybody around. But God, I love these people. And Lord, I'm asking you, God, in spite of me, would you bless them? In spite of me, would you grow them? In spite of me, would you increase their faith and answer their prayer requests and do a work of revival and refreshing in their life and help them, God, to fall in love with the Word of God. And Lord, that you might give them wisdom and understanding of the will of God and to help them, God, to dwell in the riches and the treasures of the sweet Word that, God, you might speak to them of your gold nuggets of truth and, God, they'd be able to live their lives and behave themselves in a manner that's pleasing to you. God, without faith, it will never be pleasing to you. So, God, all of these attributes, all of these characteristics... They must be done through Jesus. I'll never love mercy without Jesus. I'll never do justly without Jesus. I'll never walk humbly without Jesus. God, I just need Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I just don't have enough. Oh, God, I pray, Lord, you'd touch us and you'd help us. Thank you, God, for what you do. Would you save sinners? God, would you touch families going through bereavement? Help them, God. I can't comfort them. God, I can't be a blessing to them. But, Lord, you can. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray you touch them. Give them grace and mercy. God, I pray you give them comfort and peace. Bless them, God. These that have cancers, God, I can't heal them. I don't even know how to pray for them. But, God, I pray that rely on you. God, I pray your spirit would show up every day. God, you touch them and help them, God. Encourage them, God. Encourage them, discourage God, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen and amen.